0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is God's Word. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. And please pray with me. Father, we bow before you, the the living word of God. We come before your word, which is living, that you have spoken and revealed yourself and given to us words. that come from you to us. And Lord, as we step uh, once again into this passage this morning, our prayer would be that you would teach us, that you would change us, that you would display to us the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm going to venture that most of you, <clears throat> a number of you, have heard the name Athanasius. But I won't assume you remember in what context. It's, it's a name from, it sounds, doesn't it? Like a name from long ago. It was. Athanasius was learning to walk when the fourth century dawned. Uh, a young man who grew to be a significant man. Uh, Athanasius was a dark-skinned Egyptian bishop. He lived and served in Alexandria. His dark skin and his, and his stance for truth earned him a tag or a nickname from his enemies. Black Dwarf. He was exiled five times by four Roman emperors. And for the 45 years he served as Bishop of Alexandria, 17 of those were in exile. He had some enemies. And he wrote this. The truly humble Christian does not inquire into his neighbor's faults. He is wholly occupied with his own. That's where we find David. At the end of Psalm 139, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, or if you've ever read Psalm 139 and pondered the sweeping scope of what David does in this Psalm, he's He's explored the realities of, of the fullness of who God is. His, he is a God who knows all. There's nothing hidden from him. He is a God who is everywhere. He is the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs. This is quite a display, a bio, a self, an auto bio. Of God who reveals himself as all knowing, omnipresent, and the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. That's the one who, in pondering it, has left David to a place where David is feeling, and you might imagine if, and you might be there too, a little small. <laughs> a little small in comparison to a God who knows all is everywhere and who knits people together in their mother's wombs. I'm small. We're small together. And it's that smallness or that that leads to a humility. And as we read these words and pray this prayer, you can hear the humility, can't you? Of a God who says, a, a follower of God who says, know my heart, know my thoughts, the anxious ones, and show me what I cannot see. The smallest David feels after being made so aware of God's immensity leaves him with a humility that we would want to have. We would be wise to have. We would be right to have. A humility that's prepared to probe the depths of our own heart. Now there's lots of reasons we might not want to go there. <laughs> and we have a long list of reasons that we may not want to go there. For some of us, it's I've been there. I've tried to do that. And that is a hard place to be because what I see when I look inside, I can't stand. Or at least a lot of it. It's hard to be confronted with areas of struggle in our own lives and when we're exposed we find out how hard that is. I mean sometimes we just get caught uh, or the or the shortcomings just show up. They come out. And then we try to f- reframe it, rephrase it, redefine it, shift the blame uh, of those things that that surface come to the surface when hardship does. It's like walking through sludge. Uh, that's no fun. It's like that that little swallow of coffee grounds in the, in the last cup of coffee that came out of your coffee maker. That's what we're talking about. The stuff that resides in us that doesn't seem to go away. David shows us right here in this psalm that asking those questions and going there is actually a good place. It's a good place because it turns out it's a safe place. It's a good place and a safe place because the one to whom, the one who goes on that journey with us himself is good. And if you're in Christ, he is safe. So we can take David's words and make them our own to to land where David has landed, and to make a Godward turn. That's what's going on here. A Godward turn in his own life. Uh, he's, he, to, pray Psalm, to pray verses 23 and 24 is to ask God to show you what you cannot see, to give you what you can't do not have, to do for you what you cannot do, and to take you where you were made to go. That's why we take up these verses and make them our own and when we do we will learn something we will learn it together we will learn that God will show us the depths of his love if we know what questions to ask and what to do with what we find that's what happens here and we're going to do this with the time we have just with three questions what is it that David wants to know what does he want to know why does he want to know it and then, how does that knowledge lead to the change that he so desires? So, let's walk together. What does he want to know? <clears throat> We've been asking this for two weeks now. This is week number three. He wants, to, he wants to know what he cannot see. That's the first thing. David wants to know what he cannot see. When he, when he uses words like uh, my heart, my thoughts, away in me. He's talking about the things that are outside of his field of vision. It's not like Romans 7 where Paul laments over what he sees and cannot change. It's not even like Psalm 51 3 where David says, I know my transgressions, my sin is before me. In this prayer, he's saying, I'm not sure I know. I don't know that I know. In fact, I'm pretty sure there are things that are outside my field of vision, kind of like that side view mirror on your car gives you a pretty good view of what's coming on both sides, and you do need to use both. You know that, right? Changing lanes, you use both. But even if you don't use both, there's still a spot, <laughs> isn't there? There's still a spot that that disappears. And that's what David is saying. There are parts of my heart that have disappeared out of field of view, and I I want to go there. And we're going to find out why in a moment. He wants to know what he cannot see because he's convinced, like Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful, it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can't do my own. I need some help. He knows what Jesus will one day say. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's in the heart. The heart is the target. The heart is what David has in view and invites us to take in view as well. He wants to know what he cannot see. But he wants to know something else. He wants to see what he would not want. He wants to see what he would not want. That comes out of this word grievous. It's hard to say in English. It's hard to spell. But it's an important word. He wants to to know of any grievous way. This will help you. Here's another way to translate it. Painful. Show me what is painful. But friends, it's not what is painful to me. It's not what's painful to you. God, show me what would cause pain or create hurt in you. You know, most of us don't think in that category. We think of God as invincible and strong and powerful. And he's all those things. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. All those things. But the Bible repeatedly talks about ways that the rebellion of rebellious people impacts the heart of God in such a way to cause pain. We need that category. And David gives it to us. Show me any grievous, painful way in me that creates pain in you. We tend to think, you know, he is so quick to forgive and he's, got, he's gotten so good at forgiving me of sin after sin after sin. It must be easier for him to forgive that it is me. And we need to entertain. It must not have caught, hurt as much. There's another way of saying that. And we need to recognize that there's a chance that it not, not only did it not hurt him less, there's a good chance that it hurt him more than it ever hurts us. Let me show you how this works. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 6. And I just want to show you how this works. Um, It's how to look at Scripture to say, okay, how does God answer a prayer like this? And this is just one of several places that you could turn. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him or to his soul is another way to read that. That's six, seven, by the way. You see that periodically. Periodically. That's to suggest that the list, though specific, is not exhaustive. But here are six, no, seven ways, not exhaustive, but specific. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked. Plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, body parts are the, are the metaphors that he uses there. And then the last two really have community in mind a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. There's a famous line from a famous movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Who are those guys? Who are those guys? That's how I want to read that. Who are those guys? And yet with David, we come to Proverbs, a passage like Proverbs 6, and say, where am I? Where do these show up in my life? Haughty eyes? I've got so much pride that it does not allow me to be self-critical. Lying tongue? Well, how about deceit of any degree? to any degree. A heart that devises wicked plans, those are the things that go on in our imaginations. It's not just running drugs. How about those who destroy reputation or or create unnecessary conflicts between friends and neighbors and relatives? Well, we're in there, friends. And when we see what's there, when God shows us, when we, when we begin to, to see what we would not want, we've got to do something with what we find. And we learn what to do with what we find when we answer the question, why David wants to know. Why does David want to know this? I mean, why did he end the psalm right there? I have a hunch that it has something to do with what happens earlier in the psalm when he when he recognizes that God is the Creator who made all. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. He knows all. He knit me together in my mother's wombs. David is taking the posture of one made by a creator. He's inhabiting his creatureliness, we might say. Recognizing that, that God is who God is, my life now comes into focus. And David says, as one made by this God who is good and wise and powerful and strong and true and lovely, that I take up my place as one made by him for his purposes and his glory and to continue in any painful ways, to continue in any ways that cause pain in the heart of God is to create distortions in my life. Now, that's not self interest. Although there is a bit, right? I mean, I want my life to work. And, and when I try to understand why my life is not working at any given point, I could do a timeout and say, what is it that I'm believing and living and owning and doing that is a distortion of what God has made lovely and beautiful? What is it that he's made and given and created and offered That I have taken and twisted and distorted. And is there any wonder that my life is off track in some fashion? Why does he want to know to continue in any painful ways brings distortions in his life? But secondly... To travel in the way everlasting, and that's the language he uses in the rest of the verse. To travel in the way everlasting, or the ancient way is another way to read it. To travel in that way calls for a refitting, a recalibration, a reformation of sorts, a renewal. I need to be reshaped for what's ahead for the life that I was made for, that we were made for. You see, David knows that this is going to call for a heart that is shaped and formed and reshaped and reformed around the purposes of God. To love the things God loves. That's really what he's praying. That's what he's asking. Show me any grievous way because I want to love the things you love. Because you you have written the story and you have created things that are true and lovely and beautiful and good. And I want to love the things that you love. Because when I love the things you love, guess what? The distortions in my life are straightened out a little bit each time. To travel in the way everlasting calls for a refitting. Here's why I think David is, after, is along those lines. It's his own words from Psalm 15. Uh, we don't know. The Psalms were not necessarily written in the order in which we find them. But in Psalm 15, David has written this. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, who takes nor takes up a reproach against his friend. You almost hear the, the mirroring, don't you, of Proverbs 6 in Psalm 15. There is a way that is good and there is a way that is distorted. And he's laying these before us. And our hearts need to be refitted. Jesus is going to say in Mark 7, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, Right, speaking to the religious people of the day. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Paul is going to say, put off your old self. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. To put off and to put on requires something, it requires a capacity that we are not born with. The language that Paul uses between put off and put on is found nowhere else in Scripture. And it's this, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's going to talk about a renewed mind, and we talk a lot about that in Romans 12. Don't be tr- conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But here, he's talking about something different. And the Puritans look at this passage, and they think it may be on what he's talking about here in the spirit of your mind is your imagination. Image. Images are powerful, Right? and what my lo- what my heart and mind latch onto that's the direction that my life will tend i will go there and when something is lovely and beautiful or promising guess where you will find me on that road <laughs> as hard as i can go until something comes along that is more lovely and more promising and what we find friends and the reason david is after our hearts with this prayer That the Lord is after our hearts is that there is something more lovely, more beautiful. We're gonna get to that. And that's how we come to this third question how does that knowledge that He's after lead to the change that He desires? The Apostle Paul and our own experience are in agreement that we need something more than grit and determination. Paul in Romans 7 says, I've tried and I can't, or I can't and I will. You know, it's, it's more than grit and determination. It's more a new purpose. It's more of a, a new direction. There's something else required. Paul's also going to tell us that we need something more than a good, even great ethical code. In Colossians 2, he says, Regulations? How about these? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Have you tried those? Paul says, These have indeed the appearance of wisdom, but they have no value, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't go deep enough. And the reason is the heart is the target, and sin runs deeper than grit and determination. And ethical codes. We've tried those. So how does that knowledge lead to the change he desires? Two things. The first is this. The grace that he will need is what he can't expect. The grace that he will need when this information is revealed He's going to need grace, and grace is waking. Grace is what he can expect. Grace, despite his sin, despite ours, it's grace. It's grace that cancels the guilt of his sin and ours. It's grace that defeats the power of sin, and it's grace that compels holiness. Those, those are the realities. That's what we need, and that's what we can expect. And that's why it's a safe prayer. It's safe to pray this prayer because what's, what comes in answer is clothed in grace. You know, you belong to a God. If you, follow, if you belong to him, if you follow Christ, you belong to a God who does not rub your nose in what he reveals. We have an enemy. One of, one of his names is accuser, right? He will accuse you. And what's the difference between the accusation of our enemy and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? R.C. Sproul once said, the main difference between the accusation of our enemy and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God convicts you of some sin, there is something utterly sweet about it. So it's a safe prayer. It's a good place to go. The grace that you need, that he will need, is what he can expect. David Pallison is the, is the executive director of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation affiliated with Westminster Seminary. And in a book where he's addressing how change takes place, entitled How Sanctification Works, he lists five things. He says, here's how change works. You want to know? Here's how, here's how it works. Biblically speaking, The first one is this, God himself changes you. God himself changes you. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is at work. The second one is this, the word of truth changes you. This word changes you. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Paul says in 2 Timothy, it is profitable for reproof, correction. The word of God changes you. John Stott says, if we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts. Follow me here. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's. Then indeed, he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So God himself changes you. The word of truth changes you. Wise people change you. Proverbs 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. We need those friends. We need people that know how to, how to impact and influence the things that we're doing, the choices we're making. God himself, the word of truth, wise people, suffering, struggle, and, and troubles, don't they change you? You bet they change you. It was Jesus. Of Jesus, it was said, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Hebrews 5. But the fifth one is where I want to land this plane. God changes you, the word of truth changes you, wise people, suffering, troubles, and struggle change you. But you change. You change. First Thessalonians, Paul says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You turned. You left something and went somewhere else. You are the person who changes direction. Grace comes to fruition in a change of mind, in turning, hoping, taking refuge, trusting, loving, obeying. That's what change looks like. Pallison says, by definition, a person who changes takes action. You do something. You believe something. You ask for help for, from a friend or from God or both. You make different choices. You change your mind, your attitudes, your feelings. You change your goal in life, the way you treat others, your habits. And then, when he, and then it gets Personal. And talks about his own life, which this is where the rubber meets the road, when somebody can describe the change in in their own life. And actually, you have some stories to tell about change. There there are changes that have occurred in your life. Don't be so overwhelmed by the things that are yet to change, but take note of the things that have. You're here. You're asking these questions. You're curious about what David says about change. That's change, friends. <laughs> to want the want, the will of God, is where it begins. But this is what Paulson says. How did I change? I was changed because God intervened personally, repeatedly, patiently. God intervened personally, repeatedly, and patiently, because Scripture's words of care and consolation invited me to my Father. That's how you read this book, by the way. Lord, take me from where I am into your presence. Because many friends were faithful and wise about how they spoke into my life. Because I turned away, he says, from living as though I walked alone in a difficult, in a difficult universe. I turned away from that, and I turned too the Lord who is near that turning away and that turning to that's that's shorthand biblical shorthand for repentance turning away and turning toward and when you think about the areas in your life where you're stuck David is inviting us today to turn away and to do something else because I've learned and I bet you have too that turning away is rarely enough, if ever. That's why grit and determination fail us. That's why ethical codes fail us, that we need something more. We need to turn to, and the way we will turn to, and the only way we will turn is when we recognize that when we turn, we find something else. We find someone So here are the two points for number the third question. How does that knowledge lead to the change he desires? The first is the grace he will need is what he can expect. And the second is this. The love he will experience is what will change him. You know, it's not enough to lecture your conscience. Until you are melted by the amazing sight and the knowledge and the sense that there is one who took the fire for everything that might have ever been revealed from the depths of your heart that you cannot see. Not only the sin that is before you, but the things that are out of your sight. When you recognize that there is one who took the fire, who took the bullet, who took the the cross, For all that might emerge. All of it. Then and only then will your heart move. I didn't say be moved. Although that's true as well. But what I'm talking about is movement. Only then will you move toward the one who is lovely and beautiful and good and true. And righteous who offers you his righteousness because your unrighteousness is dealt with. Psalm 85, the sons of Korah sing, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. There's some overlap there, isn't there? with Psalm 139. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. It's the Apostle Paul that the light goes on and he begins to see and describes God who made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's only when we see the love of Christ that not only are sins forgiven, but there's movement toward him. We move toward him. Away from something lesser. And toward the greatest love you will ever find. You see, love transforms. The love of God changes. The love of God set on you. You see, he is the one... Who has set his affections on you? And when that reality grows and your imagination latches hold of that beauty, of that truth, of that reality, do you know what happens to those things, those ways that are unrighteous? The grip loosens, the power is broken. And oh I may return day after day. The power is broken. The guilt is forgiven. And I want to want to be transformed. To be rid of the distortions. Last week, when we were closing the service, we sang these words Jesus, Dream, Draw Me, sorry, Jesus, Draw Me Ever Nearer by Margaret Becker. These words, you'll recognize them. May the journey be a blessing. May I rise on wings of faith. And at the end of my heart's testing, with your likeness, let me wake. And today, In a bit, we're going to sing a psalm that takes us in that same direction. We're going to sing these words. Out of unrest and arrogant pride. That pride that keeps me from being self-critical. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy blessed will to abide. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself to dwell in thy love. Out of despair into, ra- into raptures above. Upward forever on wings like a dove. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come to thee. Come to him, friends. The one who invites you to ask that question is the one who has answered it with his love and his righteousness given to you. Lord, would you meet us and shape us and form us with our questions and with these patterns and these distortions in our life that tend to linger and linger long and deep. Lord, loosen the grip of of those patterns of living in our lives that we might find joy and delight in walking forward with you, the one whose love is tender and personal and and ever-ending. Oh, Lord, we look to you through the eyes and the faith placed in Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.